Today's show is brought to you by Bogart Extractors, an industry leader in hydrocarbon extraction. Over the last decade, Bogart has implemented many new technologies, which have helped to revolutionize the way hydrocarbon extractions are performed. Each unit is made with sanitary stainless steel and is built and tested right here in the USA. Their certified system for use in licensed facility meet all NFPA and ASME standards and undergo peer-reviewed by third-party engineers to ensure facilities and its employees can operate safely. Beyond simply making a functional extractor, Bogart has many additional features which make extraction faster and more cost-effective compared to other manufacturers. These features include hydrocarbon failing films to supercharge evaporation rates, heavy-duty explosion-proof pumps for flammable liquids and vapors, industrial chillers capable of maintaining large tanks of solvent at temperatures below 60 Celsius. They also offer extensive tech support and consultation services. So whether you need to set up an extraction lab from scratch or you just need some replacement gaskets, Give them a call at 855-553-3887 or check out their website at www.bogart.com. Hey guys, welcome to the Hemp Show Deep Dive. Um, This is just a long format conversation. Today I've got with me, I've got... Jeff, Steve, and Trevor with New England Extracts. And during the last 15-minute show, I gave you guys both a nice, or all three of you, a long introduction. What I'd like to do to kind of kick this one off, in your own words, is just tell us about yourself real quick, how you got started in the space, and then let's dive into you know everything associated with New England Extracts and get into the nitty-gritty. So whoever right, wants take, to start, take the floor. <laughs> all right, I'll, I'll take this one. This is Steve Delbeni. I'm the Director of Sales and Marketing for New England Extraction, LLC. We're located in Sterling, Connecticut. Uh, I've been in the in vertical for a little bit over a year right now on the business development side. Uh, what I found with working with New England Extraction uh, right from the start is a very professional group of people uh, led by scientists and uh, professionals that really have um, a, a lot of um, heart and soul in the business. Um, I'll introduce you to Trevor and Jeff right now. Trevor? Hey, I'm Trevor. I'm the chief scientific officer here. Um, I'm originally from Maine and have been in the industry uh, since 1999 when uh, cannabis became uh, medically legal in Maine. Spent time all over the U.S. in various parts of the cannabis industry Recently switched over to join the hemp industry and CBD industry about a year and a half, two years ago, um, and found myself uh, with these guys in Sterling, Connecticut. All right. Last up. Last but not least. Thanks a lot for having us here. Um, My name is Jeff Natal, Director of Operations here at New England Extraction. Um, I started uh, in the cannabis industry roughly about eight years ago um, after I left the dog training industry natural progression is obviously extraction going from dog training um <laughs> okay that we're gonna I'm, I'm writing down a note right now we have got to get into that conversation <laughs> sure pets and cbd they're great um so about two years ago uh let me back up a little bit more to the beginning um started off in maine as well progressively kept getting closer and closer to connecticut i have family here this is really home for me so Long-term, Maine was never really going to work out for me. Um, I went from building my first lab to um, progressively, again, getting closer to Connecticut, working in Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and then finally back into Connecticut when the farm bill passed. I got so fortunate to be paired up with Dr. David Levine. And then from there, progressively, obviously, our team has exploded since then. And this has just been an amazing adventure to be on. And I'm glad to be here. Excellent. Well, happy to have you guys and, and glad to have you back after our, our first conversation. I think where I'd like to get started here is just to talk a bit. I mean, you guys briefly covered what brought you to in, uh, New England Extracts, but I'd like to just get a quick synopsis of like, where is New England Extracts at right now as a business? You know, how long, how long have you been operating? What exactly are you doing? What's the f- specific focus? I mean, I already know that. I already know the answer to these questions, but, you know, I want to make sure we we kind of recap this for everybody that's going to be listening to this. Okay. Yeah, sure. So we we actually started um, in 2018 or 2019 doing a small, I think we had a small grow in 2018 
Um, but we did about seven acres in 2019. Um, originally, we were going to do the full vertical um, all the way from seed to, to finished products. You know, given the the climate in Connecticut and, you know, the struggle you have drying with the humidity here, you know, we decided to leave the, the grow part of it behind, um, focus on the build out of our extraction facility um, and our, our finished products. And so we got the building we're in right now, um, probably in October of 2019, um, started our build out. Of course, you know, anybody that knows construction and dealing with permitting and things like that, of course, your build out takes a lot more time than than you want it to. So we wanted to be operational, you know, early spring 2020, um, ended up being more like mid mid-summer 2020. And so we've been extracting, um, producing bulk distillate, isolate, um, D8 distillate, uh, starting basically at the end of August in 2019 or 2020. I think the fire suppression was the last thing to get signed off on um, before our, our um, occupancy permit. So that got put in place. And yeah, our, our equipment's been running uh, since August of 2020. After Irvin, that, Irvin is listening. That, that, sound is, uh, that sound is distillate being moved around the table. So we can go ahead and see that just nice. Nice orange color to it. Uh, looks very tasty. Um, so now we're talking, now you brought that distillate out. Let's talk about the focus of the products. So, you know, what's the, what's the entire product line? You know, you're starting from raw ingredients and getting all the way to finished goods. Let's, let's dive into those. Yeah. So every, every plant um, or, you know, gram of biomass that we brought in is local to Connecticut um, or New England. I think we got somebody that we partner with in, in Vermont that brings in a small amount of biomass. So everything we get is locally sourced to New England. And we do that, you know, for a couple of reasons to support, you know, local farmers, local economy. Um, you know, if anybody's ever been to New England, you, you know, kind of have that understanding. It's a very, very tight knit community um, up in the Northeast. So we wanted to kind of support that narrative with our own business model and as far as the product line, we started out doing um, bulk CBD isolate, CBG isolate, CBG distillate, CBD distillate, D8 distillate. Um, and then we've actually expanded into, we built a uh, formulation area in addition to our, our uh, laboratory space. Our lab space is about 2,000 square feet. Um, we're in a 20,000 square foot building. So most of the most of the warehouse has been biomass storage and and other storage. And our formulation space is probably you know on the order of three or four hundred square feet. And that's where we do our finished products of you know our gummies here. I got a four hundred milligram jar, twenty mix per gummy. We do three flavors of those gummies, and we do three different types of cannabinoid infusions. So we have a one to one CBD CBG gummy, a full spectrum CBD gummy. And then we have a 20 milligram D8 gummy and they all come in three different flavors. we got wild elderberry, blood orange, and then tart cherry. Um, so nine skews of gummies. The other things we do now are our water soluble, which uh, we ended up showcasing on the Instagram, made a couple of mocktails today, you know, in, in the interest and in spirit of 420 and infused a couple of those. We didn't have um, enough time on the. We didn't have enough time on the fifteen minute. Or you guys should have saved the mocktail for right now. <laughs> I would have loved that demonstration. We had to speed. We had to speed Jeff up on that. It was like basically cutting him off. <laughs> How, how's it taste? At least. Well, actually, um, we haven't infused it yet. That was one of the things that we wanted to, um, you know, give a little. We had a, a chance, like you said, to do a real quick demo the other day. Nice. Um, so what we have here, like I said, these are mocktails. I prefer these for a few different reasons. Not everybody wants to go out to a party and drink. And some people do feel socially awkward not having a cocktail in hand. So with that kind of spirit in mind, and also just the love of, you know, especially today, 420, um, why not have an infused beverage? Um, right. And something like this gives a lot more power to the consumer because, as you can see, I'm going to infuse my own beverage that I've already made. It's not a pre-made beverage. Now, real, um, real quick, real quick question for you there. Now, that's sure. that's very so that's the direct consumer, you know, infuse. That's a finished good product that a uh, consumer could purchase, right? It's kind of like just for everybody that's that's. Well, uh, think about this, this way, Jeff. kind of like a mio style where you're going to be exactly. yes, yes, an additive. Okay, 
Cool. But what we also offer here is a white label um, product line of which Jeff is showing. And as he's putting in the D8 today, does D8. We're putting straight D8 with over a, what type of potency would you say the reading is? It's uh, just under 20 mg per mil. So usually a one, a one milliliter dose will give you 20 mg, you know, infused into your beverage for a lot. Well, I can't speak for everybody, but for me, that's plenty. Cheers. Um, Salud. Ching, ching. Hey, oh, 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 hold on. Uh, <laughs> and then we got a little gummy garnish right here. So a little CBD to even you out for a gummy. Nice. And all the products that, that Trevor and Jeff are speaking to are part of our white label catalog. So we offer the gummies, uh, the crystal clear water soluble, and also in flavored. Uh, in addition to that, we have the uh, tinctures that we also have in all three doses. Sure. And they're also offered in your branded products as well, or only white labeled for those? We're, we're currently white labeling. We do not have a New England extraction brand, okay. but that is an R&D as well. Okay. And so we have right. a... Yeah, so you we're, guys, we're, we're, we talked about this. We talked about this in the last one. You guys ultimately are the, the, the masterminds behind anybody that wants to create a high quality brand, you know, whether it's formulation around the current products you have or you know, theoretically creating something new, right? So you guys would, I would, if I had to, and you mentioned it earlier, but if uh, we'll talk about CBD dog treats, if I wanted to make a super, you know, quality CBD dog treat and I, I would come to you guys because you guys have the raw ingredients, you have the, the background as far as the formulation goes, and then we would work together back and forth to then figure out, you know, what my vision is and help you guys to execute that vision. That about right? Yeah, absolutely. But what we are also able to do is give a lot of support along the way. You know, I don't feel that our relationship ends after a you know cash is dried and been cashed, um, put into the bank. Our relationship needs to go a little bit further um, at times. There's um, there are you know definitely people that come to us for a little bit of consulting as well. Um, you know, there's tons of great ideas out there, um, and having people around like Trevor. Um, really gives us a lot of a lot of ways to help make sure that the the client's goals are met um, and achievable in the first place. You know, not, they right. are always, um, but we're here as a support system as well. Well, right. Jeff, to, to 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 tag on to what Jeff's saying, the way that we can work together is in my role of selling and, and marketing uh, to have the science right there as a coworker and to be able to be able to access them. Um, brings uh, to the customers and clients and potential customers um, a sense of uh, of calm and assurance that we're dealing with the people that are making the secret sauce for the products and that we do a lot of listening. So right. to your point about the dog treats, yeah, that would be something that we want to discuss and then come back to you with solutions. So we're a solution-driven organization. Right. And, and, what, and what Jeff just mentioned, ultimately, if if I was to come to you with CBD dog treats and, you know, you help make that execute that vision. If, uh, if that's where it ends and I'm not successful, you know, then ultimately you lose a client, you're not successful. Right. So that's where your expertise. And then also the relationship going vastly further and beyond the, just the formulation and creation of the product. It's like, Hey, where's that product going to go now? You know, maybe I, maybe I do know, maybe I don't know, but ultimately I'm guessing that you guys would assist with kind of a lot of that helping to open doors um, especially with Trevor's background, having been in the space for what was the number 25, 20 plus years, 25 years now, what's the 99 since 99. So, so I guess kind of shifting, shifting gears a little bit here, you know, I want to talk a little bit more about kind of the progression that you guys have had in the industry and out of everybody here, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's been, Jeff has been the newest to the space or, or Steve would that Steve. be Steve, Steve, Steve's the newest okay. in space. Okay. So what have you guys seen since, you know, getting into and making the shift? And I'll, I want to start this with, with uh, Trevor, just because he's been in it the longest. You know, he's been in it since the, uh, the OG days when it was the Wild West. And it's still very much the Wild West in a lot of different ways because we have a long way to go. Um, but I want to just hear about the difference from when you first got into it in 99 to now, ultimately, and then what you guys have experienced, what um, Steve and Jeff have experienced as far as their short period in the space and what you've seen with the progression. 
change in profit margin. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> profit, profit margin going like that, right? <laughs> yeah, okay. profit margin's down, com- uh, amount of competitors going up. So yeah. Product, product quality is also going up by far. I'm guessing the efficacy as far, or just the, the overall cleanliness and purity of the products. Just Yeah, I think you get... I think you get a lot more people moving or you see a lot more products, you know, coming out of actual facilities that have LLCs and, you know, bona fide space and staff and a little bit of that, you know, whatever the existing regulatory um, enforcement is versus, you know, people, especially in cannabis, were just making, you know, products at their house, you know, maybe in their basement, in their garage. And now, you know, I think you start seeing less and less of that. I participated yeah. in that. Yeah, I mean, it, it happened. <laughs> I mean, that's what I say. 99, it's not like I, I owned a storefront at that time. So, you know, it, it was, you know, the year the law passed and, you know, when it was a little more, a little easier to get to get something out and actually participate. But, you know, you don't get as much credit as people before 1996, before Prop 64 in California, um, the people that were doing it 95 and before, you know, those are the guys that get, you know, a hundred percent of the credit. Cause you know, there wasn't for people a few years before that they weren't even, it wasn't even a thing, you know, looking towards the future. It wasn't even on the table as an option yet. So, right. but definitely, like we said, profit margins, you know, kind of slimming as more and more people come into the space, um, more technology, especially, I mean, the, I think the technology drives those two things, more automation, you know, the whole vaping culture changed the entire landscape. You know, it used to be all about flour. Those people, you know, doing, doing dried material extraction for either Rick Simpson oil, you know, ethanol based extraction, or people that were kind of ahead of the curve in the early two thousands were already doing butane based extraction, but, you know, technology really, really changed all that, especially with the vapes. And now, you know, we used to say that at the other place I was at that, you know, PVG was the driving force for revenue and that's pre-rolls, vapes and gummies. And, you know, those are the three things that are most easily accessible by the consumer. You know, pre-rolls, it's ready to go. All you need is a lighter. Vape, turn the battery on, it's ready to go out of the box. You know, gummy, you open the package, all you got to do is put it in your mouth. So those those kind of three things um, are, are a huge driving force I see in both cannabis and hemp right now. Um, but definitely the technology has been a huge thing. The amount of investor money that has flowed in to both the cannabis and the the CBD space uh, has been just huge, huge amounts of money. And with every, uh, every state that opens up again, um, either with a hemp program or, you know, a cannabis program, you see a certain amount of investors flocking there to, to get their investment down and, and start, you know, basically a a new chapter in a new state. So those are, those are kind of some of the major things that I see. That's, that's a lot different. I mean, nobody probably in 99 or even, you know, 2005, 2006 thought we'd have, you know, two, three dozen publicly traded uh, cannabis, or, you know, there are some CBD entities out there like Charlotte's web, they're publicly traded. There's a handful of others, but nobody could have envisioned that. I mean, that's just mind blowing in 15 years. Right, right. And ultimately, I mean, let's be real, it should have should have happened a long time ago as far as the uh, I mean, the way I look at cannabinoids is very similar to alcohol as far as uh, something that could be used uh, to alter the mind in some ways, but then there's also the efficacy side of it. So it's like, man, I can only imagine how far the industry would be if there was no prohibition um, back in the day. But when you mentioned uh, the PBG, the pre-rolled vapes and gummies, that makes complete sense. Um, ultimately, you have an entire demographic of people who are just being introduced to whether it's cannabis or hemp that aren't necessarily going to just have a pipe on them or a bong and be ready to pull that out. You know, so it's just a lot easier consumable product. And it's also something much easier to say introduce to my mom. You know, I'm, <laughs> I get my mom, get my mom some gummies, but I'm not going to hand my mom a, a dime bag and say, hey, go. <laughs> Go pop this in your bong, mom. (laughs) That's just not going to happen. Yeah, but so actually I got my kind of introduction into the space in vapes back in, I want to say it was like, I don't know, 2013 or 14. I was walking through a fitness convention in Los Angeles and 
I came upon some booth and the booth had a vaporizer that had deer antler extract in it, which is like, it's, it's, it's a known like anabolic agent. You know, you're in a fitness industry, fitness space. Everybody's looking for performance enhanced this and that. Um, and that blew my mind. Cause prior to that, all I knew was the, the nicotine vaporizers, you know, the e-cigs. When I saw this one, I was like, wait a second. And I had just, at that time, I'd been growing in my garage for a few years, had a whole bunch of excess, excess flour from that, excess extract. And I was just mind blown. Like, you can put other stuff in these things? And then, <laughs> yeah, that's when I started doing some research. And I found really the only one on the market at, the, at that time was like Open in Colorado. And uh, I was like, oh my gosh. So that's kind of where I started, got into the space. I started, you know, designing, developing products around, around the vape side. And then I saw this very similar, what you're saying with the technology, this super fast progression with the technology in the space and the products. Those vape cartridges went from black oil, just nasty butane oil that you have no idea what actually was where that actually came from. I mean, they could have scraped it up literally off the street for all you know, to all of a sudden progressing to a, a clear amber type, you know, CO2 extract or, or even, a, even a BHO that was just done, you know, with a much better process and then getting into the distillates. You know, that progression happened with them like maybe a three-year period from black to clear and then um, you know, from low quality to super high quality. It was just really, really interesting to see. And at that time I had gotten surpassed. It was like, they're just moving too quick. I was like, I, I can't keep up with these companies. They all have a, a back when I had my first vape cartridge line, it was like a really quality product. I mean, uh, natural terpenes, natural flavor, um, winterized, but not, uh, but still full spectrum. And then, all of a sudden it just got better and better. And then it got almost too good as in pure, pure distillate with like reinfused terpenes that are non-cannabis. So we're like reinfused flavor compounds and stuff. And from there it was like, people then kind of backtracked like, Hey, we've, we've isolated too much. Now we want to get back to the, the full spectrum or, or the broad spectrum scenario. Um, so yeah, I guess overall similar similar experience here. So what about uh, let's 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 go back. Wait, to wait, just so I just staying on the cart deal. We are R and D on the vape cartridges here at New England Extraction as well. So stay tuned. So are you saying that I should revamp my vape line? We'd love to white label for you. <laughs> ooh, ooh, I like I like that. Let's 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 continue that conversation. We'll uh, we'll continue that conversation offline. Uh, but I've I've got some definite. Actually, I didn't mention this. I had my first vape cartridge fully. I designed it fully myself and had it shipped off to manufacturers in China. And this was back when it was like impossible to get things not to leak. It was like everything. You maybe had it for like three days, eight puffs, whatever it was. But one way or another, you would come back to and that thing would be leaked all over your bag. So I was always kind of trying to get there. And then now you look at the vape cartridges and it's like pure glass, all ceramic, ceramic, uh, you know, the ceramic coils. And they're just, they're so much better. It's crazy. I don't know what I introduced into my body back when I was getting those, <laughs> those probably well, the heavy they're metal. More, uh. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. They're getting more stringent on the heavy metals and the amount of, you know, cadmium that they got to put in the coils. And now it's moving mostly to ceramic and, so it's definitely got a lot, a lot healthier as long as, you know, what people are putting in there, you know, is equally healthy. I think, you know, the technology is, is at that point where it's like pretty, pretty safe, depending on which vendor you go to. Right. Well, I'm going to, I'll probably find out, I don't know, maybe give it another five or 10 years and I'll, I'll figure out if that, you know, time had any effect on my lungs. Let's hope not. But yeah, I guess what you don't know, you don't know. Right. So at the time I had no clue that that those coils had issues. So obviously part of that is the fact that they were brand new, right? I mean, the, that whole product segment was, was incredibly new. Um, and if there wasn't the prohibition on this type of stuff, maybe that product segment would have developed a lot faster. So hopefully there's a lot of people that don't get, that aren't harmed from, you know, those past 
vape cartridges or, or even the oils that were loaded with, what is it? Eagle 23 or whatever that, mm-hmm. that I don't even remember the name What's of that, that pesticide. all <laughs> I think. Yeah. Or well, you're, you're the science officer. You should know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, the other thing that increased has been, you know, the ability to, to find a testing lab and test it at reasonable, you know, costs. And that's something that I've seen, you know, explode, you know, in Maine, when they started, there was no testing program. I think finally now, you know, they put a testing program in place, but a lot of the other states, you know, Colorado starting out, they really kind of led the way on, you know, opening up testing labs and making that part of the program and, and getting it, you know, so it's easy enough to submit samples, it's cost effective. And now, you know, I can't even name one tenth of the amount of labs that are all over doing testing. And you even get, you know, other labs that were doing environmental testing, you know, water quality testing, and they're like, hey, you know, we got the lab space, you know, let's buy some more instrumentation, we'll get into the cannabis and hemp testing. And now, you know, you could throw a dart at a map and be within 20 miles of a hemp and cannabis testing lab. So I think that's right. a big help. Well, and they, and as you, as you all know, they vary widely. I mean, I've visited testing labs that are like a shoebox, like two pieces of equipment. They got, they got a gas chromatography machine and, and I don't know what everything else is, but then uh, we've actually had several labs, some incredibly large labs um, that have, that have every certification that you would need to do all different types of non-cannabinoid, you know, style testing, but all the way down to uh, pharmaceutical clinical trials and have been around for 25, 30 years that kind of did, you know, what, or what you had mentioned where they have a, actually this specific lab um, has a, I want to say, I think it's a hundred thousand square foot facility. Like it is a monstrous, monstrous lab handling stuff all across the country. I, uh, I don't know. My, my, my brain doesn't remember so well after all, all these football hits. So maybe I misquoted, maybe it was only 20,000, but I, I times it by five just to make it sound bigger. <laughs> so, so Jeff, how about yourself having kind of gone into this industry? Um, you know, at least out of the, out of the three of you, uh, for the second amount, as far as the most time, you know, what was it like transitioning from the dog training industry? Also, what types of dogs were you training? What, what, what type of training was it? Um, and then what was that kind of shift like? Um, so I actually focused on behavior modification. Um, what's kind of unique or what I find really interesting about it is Does it work on humans? Training- it well, that was actually my next point was <laughs> that it actually has to do a lot with uh, like early childhood development would be the same uh, similar techniques to, you know, training puppies and, and dogs. I'm um, literally going to need to go get my wife because our three year old is he is a sleep terrorist. Just so you know, <laughs> that, that sentence never follows anything good for me. Just so you know, <laughs> I have to go get my wife. <laughs> um, so, but I, honestly, you know, that industry did give me a whole lot. Um, one, you know, it, it taught me a lot about patience, um, how to communicate better, especially with something, uh, that doesn't know English. You have to teach them English as a second language, English as a second language, ESL. I'm a non-forceful type trainer. Um, so everything that I do is, uh, positive reinforcement based. But really what that taught me was a lot about myself, about my own patients. Um, you know, it's really hard. Well, it's not hard. It's really inappropriate to get a, uh, angry at a puppy that pees on your foot. You know, they don't know any better, um, but it's, you know, something that could definitely wrong day, wrong, you know, wrong person. I can see how it could be a little irritating. And uh, it really brought me a lot of patience into my life. Uh, what really pushed me into the cannabis industry overall was my mother got breast, breast cancer um, I'd always been, you know, um, a consumer of cannabis. And, you know, at that time, more and more information was coming out about hemp and marijuana and the benefits of it. Um, it really uh, struck a chord with me, uh, knowing that I could provide some kind of benefit to, to a loved one. Um, and I think that we've all, you know, all of our lives have been touched by cancer in, in one way, shape or form. And, you know, this plant has, you know, therapeutic values to it. Um, some of it is still remains to be discovered or, you know, published. Um, but there are, you know, even if it were just a placebo effect, if it brings a benefit into somebody's life, I can see why a sugar pill, uh, somebody would want to take it every day, you know, that and getting to, uh, being a caregiver for my mother, getting to know the industry, um, and not being very happy with, 
the options that she had in front of her, um, it, it put me on a path to try to uh, do something better. I don't know if I've ever strived and, and done better than anybody locally. Um, I know that I've personally made a lot of uh, progress and excelled in the areas that I really wanted to. Um, my, my main goal was really edibles and, and vape cartridges back then. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I said before, I, I ended up in Maine and that was the best learning experience, the best place I could have ever have went to. The people up there, um, a very close knit, tight community, um, very easy to work with farmers. For, I found it was easy for me to work with farmers up there. Um, and we all had very similar goals. They have, care, they have patience and likewise, so do I. So being in Maine was was absolutely incredible. It was paramount for for me to make any kind of progression. Obviously, Connecticut had no laws um, allowing me to get to know the plan any kind of way. It was previous to 2018, so I couldn't even buy hemp and and uh, and learn from there. Over the years, you know, I really because my main focus was marijuana for so long. Um, 2018 was my first introduction into CBD. And the difference between the two industries, it's night and day. They're not as closely related as I thought they were going to be. Um, The types of things that people want from the product, what they're looking to help um, themselves with, because most people are consuming it for some type of personal problem, ailment, what have you. So it was, it's been a learning experience. I mean, today I'm going to learn something now about the CBD industry and the marijuana industry. Um, The education is not over. It's not going to stop anytime soon. And once I feel that it can stop is probably going to be the day of my own demise. Um, There's always going to be something new coming out. Right. Well, and and it moves so fast that if you look away for, um, or if you don't pay attention for a month, two months, it's almost as if a year of like education has passed. And then at the same time, there's just too much out there to ingest. So it's like, like I, I try my best to just, to, to learn from here and there and there, but I'm always, I'm always surprised. I'm like, how did I not know about that? How did that, how did that just pop up now real fast to comment, um, Jeff, on what you said about patience with dogs. Sorry to go all the way back to no, that. No, okay. Um, I've trained my dogs incredibly well. Um, my, the first dog I did was like 10 years ago. Her name was Callie German shepherd, best dog I've ever had. And ever since like spending so much time and effort working with her, I realized the patience. It is so much patience. You can't expect a dog to know something you haven't taught it. So you have to teach it in baby steps. And then in just like, I hate to say it, but in, in raising my son, so many of those things reign true. It's like baby steps. Like you have to just progress slowly. You can't, you know, just like uh, they're not just going to step up to the, to the plate and knock a home run when they don't even know how to swing the bat. So that's, that's excellent. Now, one of the questions I have for you is, is with the dog training, what type of dog do you have now? Uh, oh, no. You know, Pomeranian? No, no American Bully. <laughs> um, so an American Bully is not an American Bulldog. Um, I know what an American Bully is. Yeah. I, honestly, I just learned a year ago. I had never seen this breed before. Oh, but you, but you have one? Yeah, but now I have one. Uh, oh, those are little, I, they're little, they're monsters. Those, I've got a buddy that has two. Uh, what's their names? Like it's like Conan and Gozira or something like that, and they're just monsters. And they actually sleep in the bed with them. I don't know. That's crazy. Well, I had a 180 pound English Mastiff first, so it's been it's been different. A lot of people okay. walk up to my dog and say, "Oh, that's a huge dog," and I'm like, "Which one?" My my pit bull at the time was tall enough, or I guess short enough at 65 pounds that he can walk under my Mastiff. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, though that bully breed. Scary looking, but they're, they're all sweethearts, you know, they're, they're so they, they just get a bad rap. But, um, right now I've got a, I've got a Belgian Malinois and a, in a German shepherd. So love it. Both of them, both of them are semi rescues. One of them, the the Malinois was actually, he was down at, he was going to get put down. This is actually slightly interesting. Sorry to take a total tangent. Um, I'm in Arizona. I went to a media conference. So marijuana industry trade association conference out there. And I had maybe a month or two earlier lost my my German Shepherd Callie and looking to pick up another dog for her brother who I had at the time, which was his name was Bullets. And one popped up on on the rescue and I look at him and I'm like, oh, this guy looks great. So I call, I get the owner. The owner is a detective in San Diego who couldn't handle the dog. I'm I don't really sure, not sure how he got it. My guess is because he's a Malinois, maybe 
maybe because it's a precinct and I don't know, maybe someone had a litter and was like, Hey, who wants a Malamaw? Who wants a Malamaw? <laughs> but for anybody that's ever had those, those things are, they're insane. They are mental maniacs, tons of energy, and then also physical freaks. So I, uh, he's about to get put down at the shelter in Carlsbad. So I call him, I said, Hey, I'm going to be there in two days. Don't put him down. I get him. He's uh he's dog aggressive and people aggressive. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to give this a try. My wife was pissed. I brought him home so mad. Um, I mean, the moment I get him home, he tries to attack my other dog. And yeah, it was, I had to have him muzzled for the first like month, but s- slow progression, slow progression, right? Baby steps. Now he is the best dog, friendly to everybody, people, kids. Um, it's just crazy. This dog was about to get put down. I wish I had video of all of it. I don't, I don't have that. Uh, but sorry for that, that tangent there. Uh, but no, I want to jump over here. want to jump over here to Steve. We've, we've had you waiting for a while. So how about, how about when you entered the space, you know, what have, what have you seen as far as the changes and ultimately the the progression, um, you know, maybe as far as you learning and growing as well? Well, well, I, I come from business development um, background for my entire career. And I had been looking at the CBD vertical for the last five years um, as I've you know, gone through some changes career-wise. Startups were where I was focusing on with a, a variety of industries, but I always kept my eye on the CBD. The extraction lab was something that I thought was really exciting for me because it's one step away from the ground and the plant, but then it's to such a myriad of possibilities for formulators, manufacturers, who could take our raw products that are, you know, been been extracted, and and go to market? And so as I watched the prices uh, for full spectrum and isolates be at a certain benchmark, I said, well, there's definitely a lot of skin in here. This is probably, and you read so much that was out there as the information was coming. So my experience is that the the commodity that we have, it's an edible, it's a consumable, it's whatever you have, it's constant. So we got to plant seeds every year. We've got to grow it, extract it, and then formulate our products for the consumption by an ever-educated and uh, growing population of people that are wise to it. So knowing that something like this, which is our D8 formulated, look at the color. These guys work really hard to crystal, get to this point. Crystal clear. They're... There's not even, I mean, there's not even really much of an tent to it at all. It's basically clear, clear, clear. That's it. I was going to say clear color, but no, it's clear. That's awesome. <laughs> so to, to the point being, there's a lot of work and a lot of time, and a lot of energy to get to that point. And my observation of the industry with so many bigger types of players getting into the space has really had an effect on the price points for these offerings that we have as my, our competitors do as well. So we are doing what we need to do to pivot, to work on the, the cog, so to speak, of the business, to be able to still have the quality of our products at a price point that will be competitive. So we, we are pivoting there. So in an observation for me, um, just in a very short period of time, six months here with doing an extraction for me, you know, we've had to make some changes in our approach to our, our products and our price points for our products. But I still believe that we can give you the type of quality that you want for a price point, which is competitive. I am hoping that as the bottom has hit, in my opinion, and as the economy is starting to really come back up, we're starting to do more. I think the roaring 20s are here. I think um, the FDA maybe taking a closer look in 21, 22 to the hemp industry is very important to us. And as other states are becoming normal and uh, legislatively uh, allowing recreational to become in there, we here in Connecticut are very most looking forward to that event happening as well, because we here at New England Extraction uh, are ready to uh, switch gears a little bit even with that. So uh, I'm very hopeful and very excited about the future. The O'Cannabis Conference and Expo returns to Toronto June 1st through the 3rd, and there are still good booth locations available. This exciting event is free for cannabis retailers and will feature Tommy Chung receiving a Lifetime Achievement Award at the O'Cannabis Industry Awards. For more information about exhibiting 
or to register to attend, go to ocannabis.com. That's O-C-A-N-N-A-B-I-Z.com. Sure, sure. So um, I'm going to kind of springboard off that because I did have a question that was lined up earlier. It was actually for for Jeff, but as the group as a whole, and it was to comment on the declining margins. For anybody that was around in the, let's say like 2012 or 13, I mean, I've seen prices of CBD, of a kilo of CBD distillate <coughs> go for 25 or sorry, 25K or higher. And then all of a sudden when isolate became a thing, isolate was like, oh my gosh, everybody was seeking isolate. And it was like, $18,000 a kilo. And then it dropped all of a sudden after what, um, two years, you could find it for like $1,800. But then you find out it's being shipped in from China and it's loaded with heavy metals and you don't know where it came from. What have you guys experienced as far as that, as far as the margins as a whole, um, you know, especially if you've been in it long enough to see it where it was at its peak, you know, and then you mentioned, um, Steve, you mentioned hit the bottom. I'm not sure if you were referring to the price margins on say the distillates isolates or you were referring to the actual economy um and what happened with covid and so no, i was i was speaking to the prices of say raw material that okay. we we work on okay so yeah that, I guess, i'm hopeful for that too that it hit bottom yeah so i guess overall i'm just i guess i'm looking for some comments and some some color commentary on uh, a little bit more detail into that you know what have you seen where were they at where have they gone and then you know, Steve, you mentioned you're optimistic that they've hit the bottom. Do you see them leveling out and it becoming a kind of a fair, fair playing field ultimately? Because it's it's been a race to the bottom for the past 10 years since people have even known that it could be a commodity. And last comment, which I'll get into a little bit later, is the sharks that have entered the space. I mean, I had I dealt with a few that, man, people could some of these people could have cared less about the actual plant or the efficacy of the product. And it was just a straight so, so-called gold rush. And it was just, oh man, I mean, yeah. So I guess I'm going to turn it over to you guys to just kind of give some insight or some, some detail into, into what I was just talking about there. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's been, it's been extreme. Like you mentioned from 2012 to, you know, 2020, 2021 now, um, you know, you haven't seen it, you know, it's, it's as a commodity, it's a supply and demand thing. So you had the 2014 farm bill, um, that got picked up by a handful of States, you know, Colorado is being at the forefront, um, that had a program going under that, I think North Carolina and maybe Kentucky. So you had some big, big landmass areas taking advantage of that first bill in 2014. And then once 2018 hit, you know, and they really defined, you know, removing CBD from the Controlled Substances Act and, you know, interstate commerce and everything opened it up to, you know, basically the whole U.S. and any U.S. territories, anybody that wanted to do it, the threshold or the barrier for entry was really low, you know, compared to the cannabis space. They want tens of thousands of dollars and all this regulation. You got, you know, have so much money in the bank. You got to pass this huge application process, you know, basically, you know, the hemp program, it was like, you know, you submit, you know, your LLC, you know, a modest amount of money to get your license. You give them the GPS coordinates of your grow or where your facility is going to be and a little bit more information and you're good to, you know, join the CBD space. So I think the barrier to entry was really low. Again, the technology, I think, went into play because you only got better and better, you know, extraction systems, better and better and bigger and bigger and more efficient. So I think that had a big you know, profound effect on it. And then the other part of that is, you know, the lack of, of regulation we see, you know, the, the testing, as we mentioned, you know, with the COAs and last time I did kind of a five minute with a couple of slides talking about that, but, you know, there's not a lot of enforcement compared to cannabis, you know, cannabis is much more highly regulated, uh, much more tracked, you know, you, it's a lot harder to fake things in cannabis than it is kind of with CBD. So what you get usually in a dispensary, you know, probably 95 out of 100 times, you know, that product in your hand is going to match, you know, what the COA is in hemp right now. I don't know what that number is, but it's a lot less than 95 out of 100. So I think that makes it difficult to compete um, if people, you know, 
are just trying to, like you said, be a shark and get as much as you can with putting in as little effort and don't really care about the industry. They just see an opportunity to, to make some money. People so are I trying think, some of them are trying to go on vacation off of one deal. It's like yeah. trying to retire. I'm trying to retire on one deal. I don't know. Did you guys ever get the uh you might have been privy to this, like the oh, I need a hundred thousand kilos of CBD for some NFL contract that they're trying to do. I mean, I I must have gotten that that message from like three or four different brokers, and I'm just like, no chance this is real. I mean, maybe there's some, there's some, probably some grain of truth. I mean, we know that there's the, the NFL is working on some studies and I think uh, Dr. Babone talked about that, but it's like, sorry, they're, they're not looking to go to you, Mr. Broker over there. Like they've, they've got their means, like they're going to go to some of these bigger players that have been around for a long time to go ahead and execute those deals. Yeah. So I just find that really interesting. Now question, question for you on that. Uh, do you have any interesting stories or interesting situations that have happened related to similar um you know let's say falsified coas or fake deals that you would like to go ahead and share you know i mean leave out any leave out any spicy details if you need to yeah sure so i mean steve can talk a little bit to some of the you know outrageous stuff that either comes through linkedin or instagram or comes oh through the phone line about you know like you said i want i want a thousand kilos a month or ten thousand kilos a month and it's just like yeah, maybe like, but you look up the company and yeah, it is an LLC, but they don't really have a website and there's not that much info about them. I mean, he can talk more about instances of that, but yeah, we have found, um, you know, in our own development of D8 and coming out to have, you know, a competitive product at a competitive price, you know, we're comparing our, you know, we have in-house results. We have our own HPLC. So we run everything alongside our R&D efforts. And one of the things we did was go out and actually purchase, you know, probably from the first 20 hits on Google, the first, you know, two pages on Google, a dozen products and just tested them in house. And, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff that doesn't really add up. Um, Man, y'all should have published that. You guys should have made that. You guys should have made that into, I mean, I know there are, there are stories that have done that. I mean, there are, um, you know, investigative journalists and different groups that have done exactly that, but that makes complete sense. Any lab should do that. They should just go purchase the top 20 CBD goods that you find when you're searching on the web, on the internet, and then test them all as the lab and say, Hey, here's what the reality is. <laughs> here's what they no, say. I, here's I, what the truth is. I'd love to do that. I mean, maybe we can even take it a step further than a website or a news article. Maybe we can partner with Netflix or something, call them up and do like a full, full blown documentary on it. Yeah, That'll be my next call after this. I'll see if they're interested. Dude, I, I, well, I was, <laughs> I was before you said that. I was actually going to say that um, some of these stories are so interesting that to just highlight an entire like episode of something on one of them at a time would be would be some super engaging content. Like it'd be hilarious. But Steve, so so what? Because I mean, I get some of this stuff on LinkedIn all the time. I actually was pretty heavy on LinkedIn for a while. And then it just became too much. It is too much of a just marketing spam website that if I go on there right now, I've got, I mean, I want to say probably a good two or 3000 messages that are not responded to that. I'm just like, I don't even want to get started. Steve, how's that? How's that been going for you on LinkedIn? Well, look with everything in life, if you're in sales, there's the wild gooses that you shouldn't be chasing or the turkeys we'd call them. And uh, as I've developed in my career, you know, I, I've been a leader, I've been a manager, so I've trained people. And, you know, that's a tough reflex to, to check in. The phone rings, I need X number of that, and then walks into a manager and says, can we make this happen and what price point? And you get all excited, you just want to take that person and say, look, I know what you're going through right now. Take a deep breath. Now let's really break this thing down. And in this business, what drew me to go and uh, work was uh, I did a little research on, on Dr. Levine. Uh, Jeff had mentioned it, David Levine, MD, retired board certified surgeon, state of New York, professor taught, you know, he, he built this business, founder and CEO. Um, I, that drew me to, to him. Uh, I was working for another extraction laboratory. Uh, things didn't work out, but uh, I, the timing was right for me. And what I really wanted to express to him was how important it was for me 
that the name of the company and the my name and our names together will mean something out in the industry because there's a lot of pirates that are out there. There's a lot of uh, integrity challenges that go on day in, day out. And um, working, knowing that we all have the same um, uh, marching orders in our mission statement is important. But to maybe one of them was, um, I did get a, a, an inquiry through LinkedIn, similar to that, and it was a broker type of question. And you know, you say what really hurts or, or helps our industry. I think the whole brokering of this and treating it as a commodity has really gotten us to this point right now where it is a commodity that's just a number. And I think people that look at this business as just, you know, X times Y equals what, what I'll get in a check or a purchase order are missing the boat in this. You know, this isn't just like we're selling, I don't know, widgets, et cetera. We're, we're selling a product that does make a difference in people's lives. And think of the consumer that's on the end of that retail shelf that's buying that product. I'd like to say that if I've sold kilograms of distillate or isolate to a manufacturer formula that's then doing their own private label, that they have the confidence that they bought a product that to the final consumer will work well for them and, and not you know, make them ill or contaminate them. That's important to us here. So that being said, I would walk away from opportunities like that that just don't seem realistic. Or if it's something that is maybe something, we talk to it as a team. We have XCOM calls every week. So, you know, it's bottom up, top down philosophy in terms of communication with this company. And we, we work with customers and clients and potential customers that have the same value systems as us here at New England Extraction. And believe it or not, they're out there. And it's, up, it's on us to advertise and locate them and let them know we exist. And in turn, uh, you know, maybe with the FDA getting involved, maybe putting more regulation in to Trevor's point to get the oversight so that we now have more of an even playing field is our goal. Right, our goal. right. And right. you can always come... You can always come in and say, hey, you know, we might be able to do this, you know, just got to see your proof of funds. And that usually weeds people out. <laughs> well, the, the other the other funny one, which I was just going to mention on top of that, is the kind of the standoff between I need the COAs and, and proof of life of the product. And then I need this. No, no, you don't get that. till you give me the proof of funds. And it's just like not like the moment I hear that from anybody, I'm just like not getting involved. I know where this yeah. is going and it's leading toward no deal. <laughs> no deal ever happens when that happens. And I've, I've just seen it happen so many times. It's crazy. So I know we have a, we have a hard stop coming up here very soon. I guess one of the last questions I was going to have, um, including, you know, obviously welcome for any final thoughts before we jump off here, but it was just, I had one written down here regarding, you know, what you guys have experienced as far as getting into some of the lesser known cannabinoids like the D8, the CBG, the CB, did you say, CBN, right, as well. And then, um, so getting into some of those, at least what I saw, you know, it was, a, it was a way to differentiate the business, the brand, right? And and what you're doing as opposed to everybody just going down the specific CBD route when it comes to producing, you know, the extracts. But one of the things that I was wondering is, have you seen the markets start to really open up for you related to those minor, you know, more minor, lesser known cannabinoids uh, because at least when I saw people starting with say, hey, I'm going to do an entire 50 acres of just CBD or sorry, CBG, it was like, but where is it going to go in the end? Because ultimately the consumer has not been educated to what the benefit for them, you know, ingesting a CBG would be and they don't know anything about it. So uh, what I started to see was kind of a like uh, the market at the end consumer was not developed enough for the product that everybody was producing because the efficacy had not been studied properly. And people are still, I mean, we're still figuring those things out. Have you seen anything related to that? Having, you know, participating in some of the lesser known cannabinoids? I mean, that's, that's pretty accurate. Um, especially with the CBG being, being the example there. Um, you know, we, we got in CBG, did CBG distillate, isolate, Obviously, the D8 is the hottest cannabinoid on the market right now, so that that's the fast mover. But yeah, the CBG, like you said, the consumer is the one that's got to be willing to buy it in order for the whole supply chain to do its thing. And going out, you look at store shelves, you look online, you don't really see a lot of products that are CBG-based. And that's, that's kind of the approach to our gummy. 
you know, we did a one-to-one, you know, just to kind of introduce it. And I've seen other products like that. I think they're trying to turn consumers on to the more minor cannabinoids by coupling them with something that they know, you know, right. maybe they feel a difference or maybe they think it's, it, it has more efficacy, you know, in that combined effort. And I think that's like a foot in the door approach to get to the consumer, but yeah, for as much, you know, CBG out there, there's not that many, you know, products on the shelf. As far as the other ones, CBN's a big one, but as far as, you know, transformation and or extracting that out of a plant, you know, it's really small quantities. So you're, you're doing a lot of work to get a small quantity of it, but you know, if the kilo prices stay kind of where they're at, you know, I think that goes back to what you're saying in 2012, you know, 18, 20,000, 25,000, you know, that could be sustainable. And then, you know, you have your other ones, um, you know, THCV. I know people have a, have a big interest right now, but again, hard to, hard to grow a lot of it. It's yeah. not, it's not something you can transform, you know, like D8 or uh, CBN, there's really no route to get to it from other cannabinoids. So, you know, you're looking at, you know, maybe the seed company, you know, they figure out a way to, to make high, high percent cultivars and you do it based on extraction. But we've got a group that does a lot of uh, THCV. I'd love to connect you guys with them. Maybe you guys can work something out. I'll, uh, I'll link y'all up. Um, but I guess unless anybody has any other, you know, comments they want to, want to kind of add to this, I do have one last question and then we can kind of jump off here. Nothing else to add? Jeff's thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. I was going to say is, um, you know, if it weren't for LinkedIn, we wouldn't have hooked up with you guys. So I right. agree LinkedIn can be a lot of trouble, but it, there's some opportunities out there and, yeah. you know, it can, it can lead to some long-term relationships at times. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely some positives. It's just, I guess, oh, it's hard to filter through, you know, it's like yeah. almost, almost like we need a, a specific team member that only manages some of, you know, certain social platforms like that. Uh, but no, awesome that we got connected on there. So I guess my, my last one I want to just leave you here with is just more of a bit of a funny question. When, at what point do, you know, I want each, each three of you to answer this on your own. Um, I'd like a guesstimation on when the first, CBD Starbucks coffee is going to be uh, implemented. <laughs> as soon as we call them. <laughs> oh, that's pretty quick. <laughs> anybody anybody else, Steve, you're not, not messing with that one. Steve crossed his arms. So I got to say, not going to answer that one. <laughs> well, the, I think the only funny story to go with that is Whole Foods did not want to put any CBD related lines on for years. They gave it the Heisman and didn't do it. And then some of the smaller players started to accept it. And then the stores were calling up corporate at Whole Foods saying, where's our CBD products? And customers keep asking us. So maybe Starbucks will go through the same type of thing. Our crystal clear water soluble would be the answer for any beverage, as mm -hmm. uh, you know we've already talked about in our mocktails. So this would be something that could go into a coffee. So maybe we'll start with coffee shops and, and get the culture to change. Yeah. I mean, in the, in the future, at least some of these cannabinoids, I mean, they're going to be very they're going to follow the same parallels as, as caffeine in a sense, as far as an additive for a certain specific benefit that you're looking for, for whatever you're, you're taking. Right. So I could definitely see it being there. You know, I guess we could head down. So, so Jeff's going to head down to Starbucks. He's going to go get the Starbucks. He's going to, he's going to infuse it. And then he's going to send me a picture. It's like, it's happening. <laughs> We're all going to take oh. turns, turns walking in there and demanding the product. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd like to D8 a macchiato, please. No, that, that would be, that actually sounds pretty cool. Uh, yeah. Give me a D8 macchiato. Okay, sure. Large uh, or Vente or Grande? <laughs> <laughs> I do the, I do the Vente, but uh, this was really cool. I'm, I'm glad we could get on here for, you know, a little deeper conversation. And then I'm, I have no doubt that we're going to be talking again soon. You know, we'll get you guys on as, as regulars, just to check in on what you're doing every, every few months, you know, pop back on the hemp show just to see what's going on. What's the latest products. You know, where's the market moving? Uh, but I had a blast here. This is cool. Thank you. Um, if I could, I just want to give you a little plug as well. Um, we have definitely, you know, found a lot of traction through the can trade, can trade site. Um, and the platform that you've given us to work through, um, it's definitely appreciated. We, we love the format of it. Um, and so thank you. Awesome. And, 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 get, and, and when we email each other, send me your, your address. We'll send you some sample packages of some of the products we discussed today. Okay, cool. I'll shoot you over. I'll shoot you over uh, my my address and stuff. But no, th but thank you for that. I mean, ultimately, our goal 
we want everybody that joins our network and our platform to, you know, have a chance at being successful in whatever capacity we can. And ultimately our goal is to just drive eyeballs and give everybody the tools to be able to interact, you know, in a very simple and easy way um, in whatever we can do to get there. There's still an entire segment of the hemp industry that has never heard of us, has no idea who we are. Um, we're, we're all good people and you're all welcome to have my cell phone number and give me a call anytime. Like very, very welcoming. Also, you know, we're, we're here to introduce you. So if there's ever anybody you want to speak with or, or talk to or anything you need as well, just hit us up one way or another. Somebody in our network has what you're looking for. Thanks, Mark. Yep. And for the awesome. most part, you guys. <laughs> hey, right, yeah. cool. Thank you. Hey, thanks. All Enjoy right. your 